take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, pleased to welcome uh, my new friend Sarah Vizina to the to the show. Sarah, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, thank you. Um, you know, I always like to start now because we're in such uncertain and weird times. Um, you know, and I'm a big mental health guy. And I know you are too, which is great. We can get into that. But how are you holding up with this whole new reality at, at this time? Mm. That's a good question because my initial reaction is wanting to say, like, I'm doing so good. Things, are, things have never yeah. been better. But honestly, it's a challenge. Um, you know, you have your up days and you have your down days. But, uh, you know, overall, I'm learning to surrender and just accept what is. So if today is going to be productive, then so be it. And if today I'm playing Xbox all day, well, so be that too. Mm, that's to to surrender to it. I've never really heard someone put it that way. So that's interesting. So you, you listen, listen intrinsically to kind of what your mood or your, or your, your body's saying, and then you just kind of go with that flow. Is that kind of what it's like? Yeah. Um, of course there's like, you know, there's a, a point where I have to decide, am I going to push through this? And I only push for so long mm. after, you know, a couple of hours of realizing we're not getting anywhere at that point, I just accept and switch. So I either go for a run or I play Xbox or I hang out with a friend or my partner, well, not a friend, but one of my partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, ultimately that surrendering experience was really hard to get to. But what I realized was that when I was refusing to surrender and just pushing through the content that I was creating was coming from that place of anxiety. And therefore the content was quite low in terms of quality. It wasn't what, you know, I'm used to producing. So. Right. Yeah. Just it's getting it done rather than, you know, putting out something you really want to put out or, you know, like you said, your standards or what you're used to. It's, I just got to do it. So I'm going to do it and get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd love to touch more on mental health, but I do want to talk about, you know, one of the big reasons obviously why you're on the show is, um, coming across you on Instagram uh, uh, under Octopied Mind. And that's uh, something you co-founded. Am I correct on that? Yep. I co-founded it with my best friend. That's awesome. So what is Octopied Mind? Because Octopied is not something you hear every day in, in, uh, you know, vocabulary and everyday conversation. So what's, what's the idea behind it and what do you guys do? So Occupied Mind is a play on the words Occupied Mind, and our slogan is Free the Occupied Mind. So what we do um, is essentially through thought-provoking graphics, a bit of storytelling and production, so t-shirts and sweaters and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, um, we are essentially a tool for supporting the journey in freeing the mind from negative thoughts. So we have a goal where we want to foster a community of people who feel like they belong and are really deeply connected to one another on an authentic level. So, you know, when you're treating yourself to an own product, or even if you don't have an own product at all, you genuinely feel like you are part of something bigger. And 
each design has a story to tell. So every design has something that we all share, right? And these narratives simply manifest themselves through quite unique and mind-altering illustrations, which we hope offer our community and our audience a deeper insight into what it looks like to genuinely free yourself from the thoughts that keep you down. So one of my favorite shirts, and I saw um, Mallory, who was on, on this post uh, or on this show, um, the, the Pussy Power shirt. Because <laughs> <I love> <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where you, you notice that right away. Like it's either going to stand out, you might be offended by it, but you might love it. You might, you know, it, it's going to catch your attention though, both negatively or positively. Not using that as this, you know, just the only example, but is that something you, like you said, that, that thought provoking, is that what you kind of go for with everything you do that like, you're really trying to, I don't want to use the word shock, but just draw people in like instantaneously and then kind of cultivate that relationship with them? Absolutely. I would say that we love to make people feel safely uncomfortable. Hmm. So it might, you know, trigger a feeling inside of you that makes you think. Maybe it makes you reflect on a uh, negative experience that you might have gone through. Maybe it makes you feel empowered. Maybe it makes you question how you can step more into your power, how you've been denying yourself of that. Um, so with pussy power, for example, um, it's kind of funny because that design definitely went a lot more viral than we expected. We knew it was a good one but we didn't expect it to perform like it did. Mm. And uh, it's funny because out of all of the designs that we come up with, they all have such beautiful stories that accompany them. They come from really deep, um, oftentimes traumatic places within you know, myself or my business partner from experiences that we've both been through and, and what it looks like to come out on the other side. But Pussy Power has the most offbeat story essentially what it is is my uh she's gonna hate me for sharing this with the public but my business partner jill when she was younger she was quite thin but she was very good at sports she was very fast and she always just had a dream of being a cheetah and her mom sewed her a really cute cheetah outfit and she'd wear it around the house she wear it every single day but her dream or like her desire specifically was to grow up and be a cheetah, but without a butthole, because she didn't want her butt to be shown in front of other people. And that's understand the, that. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. Um, which speaks to the kind of it's funny though, because it speaks to the kind of social insecurity that she has. Like she does feel quite self-conscious around big groups of people, and that story really encompasses that feeling for her. And that is genuinely where Pussy Power was inspired from. It was from her childhood dream to be a cheetah without a butthole. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because, you know, I mean, I assume, and I never like to assume, but here we go and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. that it's about, you know, women empowerment, whether, you know, like that be however you, people who, uh, can't think of the word off the top of my tongue, which is great on a podcast, but you know, that mm -hmm. feel like a woman or present themselves as women, um, you know, like it just encompasses that, that feel, that feeling of women empowerment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely, um, 
we, you know, we released it for International Men's Day in 20, like 2020 this year. Okay. And that is what the meaning turned out to be because the design just happened to be ready for International Women's Day. And before the words pussy power were on top of the cheetah, it, you know, it kind of found its way into being about female empowerment, but it didn't necessarily start there. It started just from a deep and creative place within Jill and arguably a place where she feels, you know, you can be whatever you dream to be. You can be a cheetah if you want to in her little kid mind, of course, not actually, Mm -hmm. but um, absolutely. Like that is how the design um, was presented to our community. It wasn't until a few days later that Jill admitted to the world um, and like a quick little story that she later deleted out of embarrassment that the true, you know, the true inspiration was her childhood story. But um, every year we come out with an international men's day design and that was our design this year. Last year was mad girls club, which uh, was rooted in um, me, my personal experiences in overcoming traumatic childhood sexual abuse and Mm. Mad Girls Club was born out of my process of working through that. And um, it's still a, it's still a community favorite, but um, you know, not every design always comes from a deep place of transformation. Sometimes it can just emerge from, uh, I don't know, just from a different layer of creativity, but you aren't wrong in thinking or assuming that pussy power is about being empowered. Absolutely right. it is. And, and it, it's about what it makes other people feel, right? People feel empowered when they wear pussy power and that's what, what matters. Right. Yeah. It's kind of an interpretive. You can take the meaning however you want it presented to and the way you think about it and can wear it with pride like that way, which I find very mm-hmm. cool. And especially with, you know, clothing, which is such a, a display of our our personality or I guess in another sense of our insecurity, but that clothes and, and what we choose to wear and present ourselves as like, it's such a huge part of who we are or how we feel. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm a very, I, I'm an extrovert and I'm, I'm confident in my abilities, but when it comes to my looks, I'm very insecure. So I am very plain. I wear blue jeans and a black shirt a lot of the time because it's it's safe I know what it looks like and I'm, I'm not gonna veer off the path too much mm-hmm. but then you look at other people who are very comfortable with themselves and um, like accept themselves or who they are and they can you know wear flamboyant clothing with lots of bright colors or or you know um, flared pants um, you know they can they can men who are super comfortable with their sexuality can you know wear more feminine clothing you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's just so interesting how clothing is such an extension of of our feelings absolutely did you did I hear you right do you still feel insecure with the way that you look and the oh, way 100%, that percent yeah I'm yeah that's always been a, a struggle for me and you know it's it, so it's funny like people make not make fun but I do wear the same things very often but it's just because makes me feel comfortable. I know what it looks like and I'm good. Right. You stick to what feels good for you. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, you'll never see me in like a bright shirt and shiny pants, you know, like uh, my girlfriend always tries to get me to, oh, this will look good. This will look good. And I don't have the heart to tell her no, but then I like bumble and I'm just like, 
yeah, maybe. That's always my answer. And she's like, okay, I know that means a no. Right. Is there a part of you that wants to wear something bright? Not necessarily bright, but I would definitely say there's a part of me that would like to be comfortable wearing other things for sure. Mm. That, that, that's like a big thing. And I got slowly started to incorporate uh, different things. Like funny enough, I got a shirt from H&M that has a cheetah on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And it's a button up, but I never wear button ups, especially the t-shirt kinds. Um, cause I, yeah, a lot of body dysmorphia, you know, like I'm, I'm very big and broad shoulders, but like, you know, so it's just, I feel, I always feel like I'm large. <laughs> so right. it's, yeah, it's one of those things. So it's your, um, your insecurities are rooted in like how you think other people are, will perceive you yeah. physically because of what you wear. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a big thing. Like I know it might sound cocky, but like. I know uh-huh. most people will like me because of my personality. Um, you know, like that that's just been proven, but I'm like the, the way they look at me, the way they, they they the way they see my physical appearance, it's such a yeah, like that's like a such a downer. And it makes you overcompensate, you know what I mean? Like okay, now I have to be way funnier or way more energetic or way more personable uh in order to for them to like like me more because I look weird. I look weird. Right, make up and make up for it in a different area. Which is, you know, super interesting because you have this whole brand and community about occupying, you know, like freeing that occupied mind. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you initially started talking to me and we were talking about mental health a little bit, you know, it, it's funny because there's such an, a need for something that you're doing because there's a lot of things that we all feel that we don't want to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons too, why we make almost strictly unisex clothing, which mm-hmm. is very challenging because we have, we sell to mostly uh, people who identify as women mm-hmm. and um, those folks most oftentimes like shorter, tighter shirts. Um, at least that's what they ask us for. Um, that's not an assumption. That's just based on pure yeah. statistics that have been right. coming in. Um, and so it is a challenge to find clothing, but it, it has been important to us from day one. The reason why we started doing this really was because both Jill and I hate women's clothes. Hmm. Jill is a straight, really gorgeous gal, tall, slim. She's got it all. I'm short. People like refer to me as an elf. My feet are like size six and um, I'm also, I also identify as a lesbian. And so clothing can really um, trigger some uncomfortable feelings in me because I might feel like, oh, I look too, uh, you know, boyish in this, or I'm too femme and people won't know I'm gay, or mm. you know, there's a lot, it kind of plays into it. And so for both of us, um, picking out clothing that feels good on the body in terms of softness, quality, how it sits is really important. And it's so funny because I've never once heard before we launched Dr. Pride Mine, someone say, my boyfriend always steals my t-shirt. <laughs> Usually you hear never. the opposite, right? Yeah. Um, but that has been consistent feedback. All these women who are buying from us buy a second shirt and I'll message them uh, just because our community is like nice and close knit and lots of return customers. I'm like, hey, 
Haley, you already have that shirt in that size. Did something happen? Like, can I help you? I would have given like a discount or something. She's like, no, my boyfriend stole it. And that has happened so many times. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that's really, you know, is that, and I'm just think I, I just like to think broadly. Um, and, you know, when I used to do this podcast, we were always in person. So you could, you know, see how I, I was talking. So it's a lot different from Zoom, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just speaking openly. Do you think that's because like the community you have fostered maybe takes, you know, people who are a lot more, I guess, accepting uh, a little bit more le- like liberal, like that type of thing. And like, that's your audience rather than, you know, people who I grew up with who are very, you know, straight, masculine, I play hockey, blah, blah, blah. like, you know, like they would never go, I could never, they could, but like, I would never think to see them ever going to wear their girlfriend's shirt, you know? Um, yeah. Or, you know, like, is that kind of maybe what it is or is it just like, and you could totally like pump it up. Like, it's just that good. Right. Um, I think that a lot of it does have to do with the content that we share. Mm -hmm. Uh, Typically, someone who is interested in personal development, is interested in supporting local, is interested in psychedelics, in um, authentically connecting with new people, Um, you know, that kind of, we'll say, hooky, pooky, witchy, mindfulness, weird area. They're typically all the kinds of people that would be friends with one another. Like, I genuinely think that our community, most of them would just be best friends with each other if they've ever met in person, which happens with our workshops, actually. So I think a lot of that um, in terms of, you know, men embracing the unisex clothing and women embracing the unisex clothing is it has to do more with how that person is connecting with the design and also our clothing is soft as heck. So, uh, you know, Jill, for example, um, her boyfriend freaks out when he can't find an Octopi Mind shirt that's clean in the house because they're so soft. Um, but I know a guy who bought one of our shirts, which has waffles where like your breasts would be like (laughs) melted buttery nipples and he bought it because he genuinely loves the story behind it about feeding your soul versus your ego and he bought it and I think that that's great and he is a straight dude who is kind of you know masculine and hockey but he's like I'm buying this I look great in it and I love what it means yeah that's that's awesome because you know, I, I think as society continues to progress and we become open to new ideas and new ways to present ourselves and new ways to um, connect with other people that, you know, things like this will become a lot more normal. Um, and I think yeah. that's great. Like you, like I said, like I come, f- I come from a small town um, where, you know, we, we only had like one minority family, like in the entire town for me growing up to like high school, um, you know, there was, there was no open homosexual out like homosexuality or trans people or anything like that um, until high school. So like you, you grow up this one way and then it starts changing. And I, I think it's great. You know, my brother came out when he was 16 in a small town, which was huge. Um, yeah. My other brother came out a couple of years later Um so like it, it's it's really great to see but like there's still so much 
kind of resistance to it. And what I'm trying to get at is even though like I'm trying to branch out, it's still, I, I don't know what it is. I should be comfortable with it. It doesn't matter, but it's, it's something like deep down subconsciously that it's just like, Oh, I don't feel comfortable in this. Mm-hmm. Those social constructs can run real deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely really interesting. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to touch on um, a couple of things. Cause you mentioned a couple of like big, big pieces of information in passing that I didn't, want to let go the first I wanted to kind of talk about was that um that you know presenting yourself as lesbian and identifying and and clothing because you often get that stigma um you know with you know you're either femme present yourself as feminine or as butchy you know is is and is that kind of like within the community the way you feel like is that something you that you have to adhere to that like I have to be one or the other um, versus, you know, I know what you're trying to get at with this clothing brand, but like just how people have to present themselves as that, like, they're, like you said, they're not going to think that I, that I'm gay. And to me, that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because um, I definitely struggled for a long time figuring out how to dress because especially when I was single because I was trying to attract a mate Mm. and it was quite difficult to attract a mate if I, um, who's female, if I, you know, wore things like rompers and heels and lipstick and makeup and had everything, you know, done to the nines when I would go out. Um, It wasn't until, you know, things like Tinder became popular that I was able to play a little bit more like B-Femme, but people would still question me. Oh, you're, you must be bisexual. Oh, you're catfishing me. You're not really gay. Or even worse, guys would be like, you're definitely not gay. Like you don't look gay. Um, And so, you know, those challenges still, even though I'm 28 years old now and I've been out since I was like 14 or something. even in you know my life now, for example, if I look at the dynamics between, because I have a, an open relationship, and so my partner and I have other partners, mm. and even within those partners, we are constantly having, uh, you know, very complex um, conversations around the underlying competition there is to be more either like more girly or more like, I I wouldn't say like, not butch, but like skateboard kind of, you know, vibe, but boyish, we'll just say. Mm -hmm. And there is like an underlying competition always all the time that we have to bring up and, and really unpack and talk about because it can make somebody feel really insecure. I've always been used to in my relationship being the more feminine one and our newest partner is like a hundred times more feminine than I am. And that has caused a lot of insecurity in myself. And then one day she told me, she's like, I'm not used to not being the most feminine. I'm like, wait a second, you are the most feminine. And so there, there can be a lot of um, internal dialogue that we tell ourselves about the way that we look and the way that other people might perceive us. And most oftentimes it's probably wrong. It's probably mm-hmm. opposite of what's actually going on. Get into our own heads too much. That's, yeah. That's, I'm really happy you're on because you're a very interesting person. 
Ryan. <laughs> um, and I mean that sincerely in a very positive way. Um, because like I said, being from a small town, you do not get to talk to a lot of people um, from, you know, this a diverse background. And as you're, as you're talking, you're presenting these things that like, I'm just so not used to. So I'm just like, oh, whoa. So you mentioned you were in an open relationship and that's something like you, you hear about a lot, but you don't actually know a lot of people who do it. And it's something I've always kind of have been curious about because like, I guess my question is, and if you don't want to answer it, please feel free. Um, that's how we like to operate. But was there a point where you knew like you would be okay with sharing partners? Um, Cause you know, that's always something kind of people talk about in a relationship, I guess, just like, would you not, maybe not seriously, but, you know, like, oh, would it be okay if you had a threesome or, or brought another partner or date other people, you know? And, you know, I always find myself, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could do it. Like, was there a point where you're, you, you just knew you were okay with it? Um, looking back, I think I can definitely, well, not I think, I can definitely identify times in my life from even being like in elementary school where I knew that I had the capacity to love more than one person. Um, because before I knew that, you know, monogamy was the, I'm doing quotations with my fingers mm -hmm. here, but monogamy was the normal way to date somebody. I think in grade two, I had like two boyfriends. I mean, I was, I didn't know I was gay at that time. So I <laughs> disqualifies the whole experience, right. but um, yeah. So in your question, there's definitely a lot to unpack. The first thing that stuck yeah. out to me is this idea of sharing. So um, this is a question that I get a lot. Like, how can you share your partner? Don't you feel jealous? So if we look at that sentence, the word share um, comes from the world of consumption of goods, right? Mm -hmm. I have this item, you have that item. Well, we can either trade or share them, right? Mm -hmm. And so we oftentimes look at our partners as goods. We consume our time with our partner like we would consume food. And so when we have this idea that our partner going elsewhere with somebody that is not us and interacting with them in whatever capacity, we have this um, sort of reaction that we feel like someone's taking something that belongs to us. But the reality is, is that our partners don't belong to us, right? We each belong to our own selves. And um, so that's what I would say in terms of like sharing. So that is, I could talk probably for hours about sharing and the different levels that I and we, as in our partners, um, have to constantly revisit to unpack again. But um, when it comes to jealousy as well, I found the most challenging aspect of being in open relationships or you can say polyamory, um, they're not interchangeable, but in my case, they are. Um, and so in these types of relationship dynamics, I felt like I wasn't allowed to be jealous because I felt like if I was jealous, then that meant that I wasn't meant to have more than one partner. And that caused me a lot of shame and guilt for a long time. And it also caused me to have no boundaries and just let my not let see again I'm catching myself in these words that I need to move away from but uh, it, it would put me in situations where I would say yes for my partner 
to engage with somebody in a capacity that actually wasn't working for me, maybe yet or ever. So yes, you can have a sleepover with that person because I felt like if I, I can't be jealous about it and if I'm jealous about it, then that means I'm, I shouldn't be doing this. But I do want to do it because I am enjoying you know, my partners and the interactions in terms of the positive things that come with it. But um, yeah, it, like it, there is a lot of shame and guilt around jealousy and sharing and the kinds of questions that can come up for people when you tell someone that you are in an open relationship. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I'm sure there's like people like me who are like just question after question and you're just like to you, this is normal and this is the way it should be. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm sure it gets annoying from time to time to to answer all the questions. So thank you for mm-hmm. in, indulging me. Of course. Um, um, it's definitely not annoying. Um, honestly, it helps me reflect more and gain confidence in talking about it because unless somebody asks, it doesn't it doesn't come out of, you know, my little circle or out of my head. So I appreciate that you ask. No, it's like, it's the whole reason, like, I wanted to do a podcast is just so I could meet people, whether it's from, you know, a different, um, you know, race background or sexuality background or interesting passion, hobby, um, expertise. Like, it's just, to me, it's so fascinating to speak openly and candidly with people without any, you know, guilt or shame or animosity between people. For me, like, I'm just, I'm asking it out of a genuinely curious place because I want to learn. Mm -hmm. I want to expand where my thinking is limited and, Mm -hmm. you know, that, the things that I've been taught and brought up to believe and, and all those things and the accumulation of my experience, like it's vastly different from everybody else's. And once you kind of notice that you can learn, you can learn so much from so many other people. Like we're only going to talk an hour and I've already lost like, or (laughs) learned so much of, of all these different avenues. It's, that's what I find so fascinating about it. Totally. Can I ask you if you have ever thought about, non-monogamy like have you ever explored what that feels like in yourself never never seriously to be honest with you um i'm i'm i don't want to say i'm a jealous person you know in in ways i definitely can be what i am is very when i when i say the word dependent i'm i it's not like i i don't want to say like it's needy i'm not very I'm not uh like you know like, mm, talk to me or hang out with like it's not like that but I'm very mm-hmm. dependent on a relationship to like for a partner um mm-hmm. where I can talk to and bounce ideas off them or they can talk to me or, or and we can we can converse and, and be together and like I don't know if I could share it <laughs> there's the word yeah share. catching myself now <laughs> <laughs> But but um, it'll get you every time. Yeah, I know. Now every time I'm going to think about it, which is great. Like it's a, it's a great point to bring up because now every time it comes up, I'll I'll think about it and catch myself. Mm-hmm. But that I don't know if I would feel okay mm-hmm. with with having another person mm-hmm. um, involved. Like I I don't mm-hmm. know, and I've never thought about it se- seriously. But I know I would be very hurt if my my partner. My, my girlfriend would be intimate, like physically with another person, whether that be man right. or woman. 
I know that would hurt me. And like, I'd feel, I'd feel it. So like, I don't know. You feel it. It's interesting because, um, uh, you know, my partner and I, my primary, well, not even primary, because that's kind of gone out the window too, but um, not that we broke up or anything. Just we, we're trying not to use hierarchical terms. Mm-hmm. But um, the partner that I live with, that I have been with the longest, that I started this journey with, um, the one who I have a podcast with, Sydney, uh, she and I had these types of open conversations around like, oh, it would be fun to have maybe like a one night stand with someone that we invited over. Or maybe it'd be fun if like we flirted a little bit with that person over there or, you know, tonight at that party. And it slowly evolved into like, well, maybe it'd be cute to like date somebody that we saw, you know, once in a while. But we we would come up with all these things to protect ourselves. Like, oh, well, you know, if we date someone, we definitely wouldn't see them all the time. Mm-hmm. If we date someone, we definitely wouldn't live with them. If we date someone, we wouldn't have sleepovers. If we date someone, maybe we wouldn't even be together. It would have to be separate or definitely have to be together and not separate. Like we would come up with all these different things to protect ourselves. And it's funny because we actually did absolutely everything that we said we wouldn't do. We dated another couple. We lived with them. Um, we all went through a breakup together and now we're in the process of all getting back together. And so we've come full circle mm. through that full experience together. Um, but one thing that I really learned is that from the outside, you know, when you're thinking, um, like you, Ryan, you said that it would hurt you to think about your partner with somebody else. When I think back to those moments, it's, it's hard to really, um, answer that question in your position because, and in the position that I was once in, because we imagine that other person as a stranger. But my other partners who we've lived with, and now we don't live with, um, who we continue to see, couldn't be more opposite of a stranger. Mm -hmm. They complement our relationship dynamics in, in ways that I never thought possible. The fear of maybe, you know, losing time or losing support I feel like we have an abundance of time, an abundance of support. Uh, even the other day where I was struggling with business, um, you know, one of my, well, my partner's partner is a business coach and she just came over and helped me for a, co- a couple of hours. And so that's like where the community can kind of come in. And I know that that's not the same for every relationship dynamic, but I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of communication between not only, like you said, you're, you're the partner you've been with the longest, but with, with all of you, um, mm-hmm. which I would assume would be pretty essential when it comes to something like this. I mean, it's critical to every relationship, but when you get a lot of people involved with a, a lot of, you know, love and feelings, like I'm sure it can get complicated in some aspects. Um, yeah. And I was also uh, that like, so you you're, all together in a relationship. It's not like you're dating, you know, Cindy and then your other partner's dating, um, uh, put another women, a uh, female name in there, but like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But like, you're, you're all together in a way. Like, it, it's not like you don't have any interaction. Like, it's not like you don't have that interaction with your partner's other partner, not, mm. not other, like it's another, it's an other partner, not another partner. Right. Um, I'd need like a whiteboard to explain the connections, (laughs) but essentially what happened was um, 
outside of these, I'm going to say these two people because I'm not going to count Sydney. I already, that's my partner's, yeah. my partner that I, um, I'm allowed to say her name. Her name is Sydney. She's the one I live with. So Sydney and I have been together for over five years. Okay. We moved to Ottawa and started dating another female couple here. All f- but when we were dating that couple, it wasn't, and that was part of the problem. It wasn't all four of us dating all four We essentially swapped, but never allowed the wires to cross because when the swap happened, it was really intense. And we didn't expect for it to happen because we moved in as friends and as roommates temporarily, you know, moving into a new city. We didn't expect for a relationship to grow out of it. Um, And so rule number two, don't live with someone that you're just trying to date, especially if it's like within an open relationship dynamic, it's already complicated enough. Um, but what happened was that really lifted a lot of deep relationship problems that were pushed to the back burner in both uh, OG couples. And so the four broke apart, but Sydney and I didn't break up. Sydney and I moved out and we went into our own house. And since we've been here, we've definitely had relationship transitions, like our relationship structure might Um, you know, look different from one month to the next. That could mean physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, whatever. And we we really try and bring more flow. We both still pay the bills, but that's essentially the the one constant that happens. Um, And with this other couple, they broke up, but now they're starting to come back together. And so those, one of those people dated started dating Sydney and I um you know a couple of months ago and so we were a three but now we're kind of a three with an extra leg because that fourth person is still involved connected through my partner um like through Sydney but that person also is still connected to all four of us so like what we're realizing is that four didn't work out because we didn't communicate First of all, we said we were communicating, but we weren't talking about anything really. We were talking about very surface level stuff. Like I feel hurt. I feel jealous, but we weren't really going down into the core of like this situation makes me feel like when I was six years old and I was denied um, a position on the soccer team and I lost a bunch of time with my friends. And so every time you guys get time together, I feel like I'm left out, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't go that we weren't going that deep. And so now that we've all grown a lot over the last two years, we're able to go a lot deeper than we ever have been. And we've also matured a lot. And so we're able to have the conversations that maybe we really wanted to, but none of us took the initiation to, and that's part of openness and, you know, having open relationships, especially with multiple people who are all interconnected. It, someone has to kind of, each person has to take turns calling the shots, essentially mm-hmm. calling the shots as in like forcing a group meeting, forcing people to like, not force, but like initiating, you know, Hey guys, it's been a long time since we've all checked in. It's really time that we sit down and talk about some expectations or some boundaries or some privacy levels. Wow. No, it's, it's a very interesting perspective. And it, you know, it's, I think it's something that, you're presenting like this it's like every relationship should be that respectful that that deep that um like that level of communication like if it's two partners three four like 
but like so many aren't. So it's like you're presenting this lesson that like to me just it's resonating being like, yeah, you have to go a lot deeper. It's like it's one thing for me to be like, yeah, I don't like that. Don't do it. But it's a whole other level. It's a whole another thing to get to that next level to make someone really understand. And it's just really interesting. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot to, um, to take down those egos and just support one another for who you are and what you're experiencing in that moment. Um, Leads me to my next question. So you're around the same age as I am. I'm a 92. So I turned 28 actually at the end of the month. Oh, Um, cool. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Where, you know, you speak and you, you talk about these things at a much higher level than it would be attributed to someone of our age, right? Like you're, you have these perspectives and ideas um, and levels of thinking that, you know, go beyond a lot of other people I know who are around our age, for sure. Where did this perspective, where did this level of, you know, your living, where did this come from? That's a really good question. It's funny because my first reaction is like, I constantly battle with myself that I sound stupid. And that's a lot of that is due to the fact that um, I had like a horribly abusive stepdad who always called me stupid. Mm. Um, And so I still battle with that a lot. And, but to answer your question, I honestly think that these experiences that I can speak to come from literally being thrown into them and then not knowing what to do with the information afterwards. So, um, you know, if we think about staying on to the last topic, just to kind of weave it through, but like if we're talking about open relationships and the knowledge that I now have over the last few years of doing, of, you know, living this way with my partners, Um, I have been cheated on a lot in, in past relationships. Mm. I've had abusive relationships and I've had relationships where I knew that we could have had such a beautiful relationship together, but it just wasn't possible because that other person wasn't willing to communicate, but also I wasn't willing to communicate. But I had the difference I think is that I had the awareness in my head of like, okay, in the middle of this fight right now, I really see where I need to let go, where I've gone wrong or where I need to take down my ego, but I'm just choosing not to. I want them to do it first and then maybe I'll relax into it. Mm -hmm. And so it really just took a lot of practice and a lot of time and compassion for myself to slowly move into a space where I would let go more. Um, And and just try, try less, just try, try to be more in line with what I really do feel deep down on the inside, right? Like anger, for example, is a, is a symptom of really deep sadness. When we're angry at somebody, it's because we feel deeply hurt, but our ego wants us to just yell and be right because the ego can only digest negativity. But what the soul wants, the soul wants to connect. The soul wants to understand and the soul wants to heal. But the soul also whispers and its voice is much quieter and it takes a lot of work. It's like exercising a muscle to be able to get to a point where you 
um, are exercising your soul's muscle more than your ego's muscle. And with that being said, I still operate from a highly ego um, standpoint. Um, I definitely haven't moved into that space, but every single day I try a little bit harder. Right. Yeah. No, it's, excuse me. It's just the way you describe these, the scenarios, these, these levels of thinking, you know, to me, it's just, like I said, you hear like a very philosophical, like a very, not spiritual in the sense of, um, you know, necessarily religion or or all that stuff, but spiritual in the sense of, I'm, like I said, like you were talking about the soul, which is, it's always interesting. And if you were talking to 16 year old Ryan mentioning the soul, mm-hmm. I would have been laughing. Um <laughs> But, you know, now I've, I've learned to understand how these people's perspectives and, and other things, you know, but getting back to it, that like, when I'm, when I'm saying spiritual, that you're, you're just so, or at least present yourself as like intrinsically in tuned, that you really have taken some deep thought and understanding to learn about yourself. And in a world that, you know, you know, not talking about like the COVID stuff right now, but like mm-hmm. where mental health is on the rise, depression is on the rise, you know, um, substance abuse, all these different societal issues that we have. And a lot mm-hmm. of it stems from people just not taking that look in and, and as some people who I really respect and look up to say, deal with your shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're it right. Like you took the time and continued mm-hmm. to. Honestly, and it really comes down to, which is actually something that I was speaking with um, Sydney earlier today. I think, like to answer your question point blank, I woke up out of pain. I woke up out of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. Um, both physically, emotionally, I had extremely high anxiety. I was very depressed. I starved myself very badly. I had the worst neck pain that it's the worst physical pain I've ever felt in my life that led through, led me through a hundred different medical procedures that were not necessary because it wasn't a physical problem. It was an emotional stress point that was manifesting physically. Um, But really I woke up from being I woke up one day and just realized like I can bring myself to a point where I can deal with my stuff and maybe just maybe, cause I don't know yet. Cause I'm still, you know, in this state, but maybe if I just start dealing with these things, I'll feel better. And what catapulted me into that was very honestly, psychedelics. Um, I was very afraid of them. I remember making fun of my friends for um, taking MDMA, saying it was like cooked in a bathtub and all this stuff. Uh, MDMA, there's a great documentary on, um, I think it's still on YouTube. I think you might have to buy it though. It's called uh, Dirty Pictures. And it is literally the inventor of MDMA and his wife. And they talk about how uh, we have all of these um, outlets in our system to receive different types of information from psychedelics. So for example, we know that cannabis is received through our system by 
what's the receptor called? I think it's a cannabinoid or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know the medical terms, but um, <laughs> essentially, you know, I used to make fun of people who smoked weed, who did MDMA, who took mushrooms, saying that they had all these awakening experiences, but it wasn't until I did it in an intentional setting. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not advertising the to do drugs and you'll just wake up one day, but for me, I was really lucky to be connected with Jill who connected me with a community of people who used psychedelics for healing, who microdosed things like MDMA or acid or mushrooms and got all of our closest friends together in a circle and had a healing circle where we talked about stuff from our childhoods that most people you know, die never, spe- never speaking about. Mm. And that I think is what really catapulted me forward. And I, I haven't done many psychedelics and I haven't done a lot of them either, but I just had to do a little bit to open up that door to see what I was truly capable of. And I had some awakenings where I realized that a lot of my emotional pain was manifest, was so essentially clogged up in my system that it was starting to manifest physically in my neck which is we can get more hooky pooky, which is where your soul connects to your body is like between your, um, the base of your head and your spine. And yeah, that's you, my neck pain not, not to cut you off, but you're scaring mm-hmm. me because I have neck pain that I've been de- dealing with for years. Ah! And see, yeah, I know. I'm like, ah, you know, I had, uh, I had my friend, uh, Jen Wozni on and um, it was about a year ago, but you know, she, she's an energy healer and um, I haven't done anything with her in in the sense of procedures or or um, anything, but you know when she was coming on originally when she reached out to me, you know if I, you you talk about that that you know that woo woo stuff that that you're just like oh god like what am I getting myself into? <laughs> but mm-hmm. when she came on and and spoke and delivered her her message about it, you know it. You know, I, I don't know if I believe it or if I don't believe it. Um, that's not the point. It's mm-hmm. that people get help and, and, and have results with it, which I find truly, truly fascinating. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact, is, you know, she wasn't pushing on it. She's like, if you feel it's right for you, then do it. And, you know, that, that was her mm-hmm. message. And so that like that experience alone, like really opened my eyes to a, that, a little bit more of a, a higher power thinking um, in, in the sense of all this, that, 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 what you were just talking about, that, that hooky pooky stuff mm-hmm. where, you know, again, when you're talking to 16 year old Ryan, who was like super reading, like the heretic Bible, like, like storm the government type of stuff, you know, and you look at me now, it's kind of like, okay, like, interesting, like, tell me more. And I'm glad you brought up psychedelics. Cause you know, people make fun of people like Joe Rogan for bringing it up or, or, yeah. all those things like you were saying that like you know you used to make fun of people for but like there's so many people who swear by it and now there's science being done like there's science that has been done but now it's like government funded to treat yes. depression yes. anxiety um all these mental health issues and using you know mushrooms and and all that stuff so there's a lot behind it yeah so it's i mean we're seeing it with cannabis Exactly. There's so much behind it. We're seeing it with cannabis and that is just a taste of what is to come. Right. And with that being said, of course, do your research. Um, You know, don't do anything. If you like, don't take something, if you know that you have 
health issues that could interact negatively with it. Um, you know, be safe about it. Do you, do your research. There's a great, um, what's it called? Oh, of course, podcast. I can't remember the name. <laughs> the psychedelic um, community. What is it called? Psychedelic community. I'm trying to Google. I can't remember the name. Um, but you can okay. go and Google it. I'll, I'll stall. But, I'll stall for time. Yeah. Um, no, but it, uh, you know, there's so many people who to swear by these experiences. When it comes to MDMA, that always got me nervous because in my research, it was always telling me it was a spike of serotonin um, and that you come off very depressed. Um, I myself mm -hmm. are, on, are on SSRIs, like serotonin inhibitors. So okay. like that stuff always like really worried me to to try. And I tried it once when I, before I was on it and it was mm -hmm. fine, like when I was a teenager. But like now I'm like, well, I just don't know. And you can't, like you could go to your doctor, but like, I don't know. I don't know what they'd say. I want to try the MDMA. Is it cool? <laughs> um, you might actually be able to find that answer. And I have the name, MAPS, M-A-P-S. And it's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Interesting. And they have, um, I believe they have an office in Toronto, actually. But they're great. They have a ton of resources, books, essays, like links. They have doctors that you can, that you can speak to. And um, yeah, I highly recommend MAPS. And before you do any sort of psychedelic, I always recommend pre-rolling. So taking care of your body properly before you ingest MDMA. Like I thought MDMA was like, oh, <laughs> My, you know, buy it off of a pal at a rave and yeah, yeah. it's wrapped in toilet paper and pop that back and maybe have an experience. No, um, get it from a trusted source, test it, keyword test, get testers for your psychedelics so that you know what you're ingesting. Pre-roll for MDMA, it's like, it's a supplement called RALA. You can get all this stuff off of like supplement websites um, and magnesium, Tums, things to like calm your body physically and also, you know, meditating before you dose, having a support system because oftentimes like psychedelics, when people say I've had a bad trip, it's either wrong dose or wrong setup, like situation, either the people or the environment that you were in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also like to argue that every trip is a bad trip. Like I'm not doing psychedelics to have a good time. I'm doing psychedelics to work on myself. And once I do the work, I get the reward, right? Then I have a good time. But before that, Lots of crying. <laughs> wow, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. Because yeah, people take it for those those uh, you know the hallucinogen like hallucinations or just to laugh and giggle, but mm. you take it for the opposite to to go deep and and find and find those things. Which I mean, clearly, I can, I can at least hear like some results. I didn't know you from before. It's the first time we ever chatted. But mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, like I said, you're. It, it, what you say cuts through at a different level than what you hear from a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I mean, cool. MDMA is like, I appreciate that. MDMA and many other psychedelics, I think they have like different, they have different, um, I don't know, supposed like time comparisons. So they say like one trip on MDMA, trip mean like a full proper dose for your body weight and height. Um, 
one of those trips is equivalent to two years worth of therapy. And I heard that before I did MDMA in a healing setting. And I was like, that's BS. There's no way, um, you know, that that could, that I could have that deep of healing, that trend, that much of a transformative experience in a few hours that it would be equivalent to two years of going to therapy. And I was proven wrong. I would have never been able to wrap my mind and my heart around like specifically what I had mentioned earlier, the um, like the childhood sexual abuse that I had been through mm-hmm. hadn't it been in the situation where, and it wasn't over just like one trip, but I did like three trips with MDMA in a healing circle with proper support, um, proper dosing tested and so on. But uh, I would have never been able to get there that quick. And I'm so glad that I did because that was one of the biggest things that was holding me back from reaching my fullest potential, from doing things like launching a business, from um, you know being a good partner for someone to date, from being less anxious or just calm enough to go to the grocery store by myself. Mm. Oh, you got me thinking so much. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really interested about your neck pain. How long have you had it? Oh God, since uh, like seven years. Seven years. Six or seven years. I feel that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been one of those things like my body just is, is just very stiff. Um, so like, you know, I've been to a chiropractor, massage, physio, um, and things are just always momentary, like momentary relief. Like, I'll, oh, I feel better. And then I'm like stiff again. Um, mm-hmm. Now I am a very anxious person. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like 99% certain a lot of it is because of without ever having a diagnosis properly, like with that is, mm-hmm. is probably a big reason. Like apparently I grind my teeth now when I sleep. And um, so I wouldn't be surprised. And it's one of those things like, you know, I'm, I'm very involved with mental health and, and talking to people about it. And I do my speeches and I do all these things. And I've, I've tried meditation, um, you know, not as seriously as I probably should, you know, things like yoga, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've never just sat down and made the time to seriously go through it when I sit there and I know I should. <laughs> And it's just, yeah. I don't, it's one of those things. I, you know, it's one of those things you keep, it's like when you hate your job and you really want to leave, but you can't, and you know, it's going to be so much better when you, you can, but you just you can't You physically cannot just bring yourself to do it. It's kind of like one of those things. And it's so hard to break through. Absolutely. We, um, there is a part of us, the ego, as you could refer to it, or um, even deeper than that, it's called the pain body that enjoys the suffering. There is a part of us that wants to be in pain and that wants to stay with it because we identify with it. Um, mm. I recognized even this morning, um, I said my neck pain and the word my attaching that to the pain that I experience tells me that I'm a- attached to it instead of saying I ha- like there is pain in my neck or like switching even where the word my is or I'm in pain, but I just, it's almost sounded like my dog or like my computer. It's like my neck pain. I own this. I'm attached to it. 
Um, but something that I want you to try is, well, question, is your neck pain constant or is it like once in a while? No, like it it's, like, it's a chronic thing. Yeah. Okay. So what I want you to try is when it's at its worst, I want you to sit there and just like sit calmly and identify other areas of your body that are also in pain. Because what most often is happening is that your neck is so in pain or like a part of your body is so highly in pain that you're not realizing that it's like a sum of a bunch of other things that are in pain. So you could be clenching your jaw, which is affecting, therefore, the back of your neck. You could be good boy. Um, it could be your stomach, right? You could be hunched over a bit and tense in your stomach, which is leading tension up into your chest and your shoulders, therefore your back, causing bad posture leading to your neck. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be your way that your feet are crossed. Are you like pushing your ankles into one another to like keep your legs nice and tight? How do your thighs feel? And so just doing a bit of a body scan and breathing big, deep breaths. Um, I went through a big phase where I was jazzed to just remind people around me to take breaths. And my partner and I got really into it for a good, a good amount of time. And just a couple of times, like times a day, you and your partner should just say, hey, deep breath. And it becomes a game where you take four big, nice, deep breaths. And that oxygen will help your body relax too. Yeah, it's, it's, you're the third person who's, who's brought that, um, that body scan up to me. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I had uh, Jen bring that up, who's the energy healer, and I had a naturopath also bring it up. I'm like, hmm, just it's it's interesting because you know people look down on it, right? They they think this is like like you said, hooky or or whatever. But like, so many people find results, and I remember putting the question. I'm like, well, like if it's not like, what if it's just your mind uh, just doing it? Like it's like a placebo, and then they just looked at me. They're like who cares? It worked. I'm like, fuck, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have a point. Right? Like, they're just like, so? Who cares if it's medical or it's science or it's, it's this, you know? Like, if it, if it worked for you, why does it matter, you know? And I always found it interesting that like, you know, Eastern religions and, and, you know, people have been doing this for thousands, hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, like now all of a sudden people are like, oh, no, 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 don't do this. Go take a pill. And that's something I've always like really thought about. And it's like, I don't want to be on medication, but it helps. And is there ways you can really get around it? And to me, it seems there are, but it's also a lot of work and you really have to kind of be ready to do the work. Yeah, of course. And there's a balance, right? Like if you got hit in the head with something, obviously you have like a physical ailment that you need to pay attention to. Um, But what I... What I try and um, come back to, which I recommend, maybe it'll help you out is, you know, you mentioned like you clench your jaw and, and, you know, these other anxious, you're highly anxious. And and so therefore it's definitely living in your body, but maybe take focus away from your neck and just think about how your body might feel if you, let's say, clenched your jaw a bit less or relaxed your hands a bit more or relax your shoulders back and down a little bit more and just start treat like not treating, but like triaging the Mm. other parts of your body. And if the neck pain is still there, once everything else has been healed, then maybe your neck pain will take better to things like Cairo 
physio and massage. Cause I think it's like, it really is about bringing it all together mm-hmm. in one. You've really got to be exercising, eating right, drinking lots of water, meditating, getting massage regularly. Like you have to be doing it all. Um, I think anyway, as someone who's yeah. in constant pain, um, which you might agree with to really be able to like, keep it level, like to keep your body in, um, a calm, painless mm-hmm. state. Yeah. Not just like, a, a, you know, physically, but I think all those things are just important to life. You know what I mean? Like mentally, yeah. for, like for me, like that, that's all those things like relate to it mentally. Like that's literally the only reason I really exercise. I could care about, you know, do I like the results of physical activity? Yeah. But like, I could care less if I have huge biceps or anything. Like what I'm trying <laughs> to do is, you know, what I, I always call it like outwork my outwork my demons like run faster or work harder so like they can't catch up i love um, that yeah this is kind of dark, outwork but... my demons i'm gonna i'm gonna give you credit for that i'll bring that up in a pod in our podcast oh please yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect it's perfectly in, on theme yeah no but that, that's what it, it that's what i i believe in right like i i gotta outwork and I guess taking all this conversation and circling it right back to, you know, occupied mind, but it's, it's, it's my way, I guess, of freeing at least momentarily my occupied mind of my anxiety of my, my loneliness of, of all those, you know, suicidal thoughts. It's I, okay. I got to outwork them in, in a certain aspect. And when I say that, I'm not like one of those people who was like, you got to hustle, man, you got to wake up and you got to, you know, hit the grind and make that money. And you know what, like all those things are great if that's what you want. Like, but that's not what it is. It's, it's, uh, am I, I'm being a productive member of, you know, of my relationship, of my family, of my team, of my peers around me, my community. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's, to all those things and then doing the podcast and doing all these other things and doing exercise it's all part of like doing all these things to to free my mind of those those negative thoughts absolutely and i think too um i'm learning more and more that it's not just about outrunning your demons or outworking your demons but it's also about being friends with them what would it feel like to just accept that part of yourself, right? And I, it's been on my mind more heavily in the last few weeks, but seeing some of the things that I've been really challenged with in terms of my uh, core behavior or characters, characteristics, um, how can I maybe approach my life with a balance between self-improvement and self-acceptance. And I think that when we accept parts of who we are, that is the very thing that helps dissolve them. Interesting. Hmm. Never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because one of the traps, like I don't want to get into is, um, and you brought it up a little bit earlier, is like, self-identifying with my mental illness you know Mm. what I mean like I don't want it to be who I am and I I I find a lot of people in the mental health community kind of do that like their 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 illness becomes who they are and and what they talk about and what they do and everything's centered around this and that's like 
you know, so it's, yeah, I guess it's finding that, that little balance of what can I accept? What's not going to go away and how do I live with it in a better, more positive way versus what can I actually improve? Yeah, absolutely. I think thought for sure. Um, but I want to ask you one more question. I hate that I'm doing it at the end because we talked about it a lot. That's okay. In, for, for the ego. Um, and I've heard about this a lot, you know, especially when you, you uh, listen or, or read things up on, on mindfulness, uh, whether that's meditation, like all those things, like the, the, the word ego comes a lot. And when we talk about it, like colloquially, Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm not in broadcasting. Um, <laughs> when we bring it up conversationally or casually, it's, um, it, you know, someone, they have an ego, they're cocky. They're, they're that person who thinks they're tough shit and they're the best and blah, blah, blah. When you refer to the ego, like, what is your interpretation of what ego means and what it, it adds to a, a, like a life, a human being? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, ego can certainly mean things like egotistical, like that person is mm-hmm. cocky, right? But for me, um, when, you, when you take that, a cocky person, and you break that down, why are they being cocky? Are they insecure about something, most likely? Okay, well, what are they insecure about? What are the thoughts that are going through their head? Those thoughts, those negative thought loops that are telling themselves that they aren't enough and therefore they need to compensate, those thought patterns, what is driving those thought patterns, that's what the ego is from what I personally interpret or understand it to be, right? When I speak about the ego, I speak about this um, little buddy of mine on the inside of me who creates um, language or things in my body and in my mind to protect myself from feeling what I genuinely need to feel. Mm. So with jealousy, for example, right? The ego in a situation that causes me to feel really jealous wants to, you know, make that other person feel guilty for making me feel jealous, right? But really what's happening is that there's an internal alarm going off that's telling me that I'm not good enough. And that's why I feel jealous. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. And that's a, it's a big thing to think about, you know, Mm -hmm. that (laughs) I think we can all agree that we all um, as like a human collective could benefit from taking a look at it that way. And when, you know, cause some people are so, um, what's the word like reactive or impulsive to their reactions to certain things um, that if they examined it through that lens and like, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I thinking about this? Like we could, you could really eliminate like 85%. That's a random number, but a high percentage of problems mm-hmm. in this world, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, violence or murder or, sexual assault or you know drug you like bad drug use um all, all those things like it's 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 an interesting thought mm-hmm. it definitely feels that cycle of pain right hurt people yeah. hurt people hurt people hurt people and that's how it right. keeps going on right like my sexual abuse happened because the person who abused me was sexually abused yeah uh, I, I um, hate that you uh, yeah 
sorry to interrupt. It's just like you know what we that happen a lot. Like at least yes. like when like you're watching like Dateline or something on Netflix, you know, <laughs> that happens. But like you know, yeah. it's like the the per like or you take a look at serial killers and like they were usually abused as kids or sexually abused, and it's just like ah, <laughs> I just I know that shit happens. It almost, it's like everyone just needs to take an oath where we all agree that the cycle ends exactly where we are and then we move forward. And, and that's like an, kind of an oath that I've, took, that I've taken for myself is I look at my family and I just see so many people riddled with anxiety and pain, right? Like, oh, my knees are hurting. My stomach hurts. I have this problem. I have this health problem oh, I can't do that. No, I can't travel. I feel too anxious. And it's just like so much chaos when really it's just all this pain that nobody decided to deal with. And that's all passed down onto me. Half the shit that we have to work through, as in we collective people, half the shit that we work through in the run of a day in terms of emotions don't even belong to us. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. carried on. Right. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um super interesting but i do want to get out here before we do business plugs you know as we talk right now we're in the midst of a pandemic covid19 um businesses are closed all these different things now i don't know i know you don't have like a storefront or anything but like is your business affected right now due to all the closures and what are ways people can what can they do to actively support like you businesses during this time That's a great question. Um, In terms of supporting businesses, I would recommend that if you're going to be ordering food, order from your local Chinatown because they are the ones who are receiving the greatest impact when it comes to um, the racism side Mm -hmm. of the pandemic. So anytime that uh, my partners and I I decide to order food, we choose a new spot in our local Chinatown here in Ottawa to, to get some food from. Um, that would be my recommendation and also just find other local businesses. You can find a ton of them through Octopied Mind. We are friends with all of them from the city in ways in which you can support them. Um, and lots of people do things like virtual Reiki healing, if that's your thing. Uh, people do tarot reading, if that's your thing. People, um, do business coaching, if that's your thing. Mm -hmm. Um, people also make things like candles and stuff and are still doing, you know, shipping because Canada Post is still up and running. Um, has the pandemic affected Octopi Mind? Significantly. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, it's hard to sell clothes when everybody is pretty strapped for cash. The last thing that you really want to buy right now is yourself some, (laughs) some new clothing. Um, it might help temporarily a little bit of a shopping therapy, but you know, long-term wise and what we're seeing so far is that sales have definitely uh, dropped. Mm. Also, all of the markets have been canceled and that's where we make a lot of our our revenue is selling in person. Uh, But what we're doing to move past that, or I guess like lean into that issue is that we are, we have a ton of items um, at my business partner's house that we've thrifted over the last few months that we still have hanging out. And so since she's stuck home too, she's getting back into screen printing since we used to do everything by hand. Uh, We use a studio now, but we've been screen printing things by hand, new designs that we've been coming out with on thrifted items and auctioning them off. So they're one piece, they're unique. And in that case, it it definitely helps us stay afloat, but then it also 
is nice for that person because they're getting a one-time thing and they can justify that treat a bit more. Right. Um, Are you guys doing any uh, like workshops or or anything? Because I know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but like you guys used to do, you know, workshops and, and bring people together, community type events. Yeah, so we uh, we are do- we are doing workshops still. Uh, we've moved them to be virtually. We actually have a workshop this coming Tuesday, April fourteenth. You can get the tickets in the link of Octopi Minds Instagram bio. It's also on Eventbrite. Um, there's a ton of different tiered tickets depending on where you're at financially. We want to make sure that we are being um, accessible for anyone who wants to come. We're also that. doing a bunch of giveaways for workshops too. So um, we give away five. five free seats every workshop for people who want to come okay that's great where so what's your website what's the social media where can people find you so our website is octopiedmind.com it's o-c-t-o octopiedmind.com and our instagram is also octopiedmind perfect well you know what sarah thank you for a fabulous conversation like this was an eye opener and exceeded my expectations, which were already high so greatly. So I appreciate it. Thank you for making the time. Mm, That's really sweet. Thank you, Ryan. I really enjoyed my time with you. (laughs) You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.